Hello everybody, I'm still in the midst of inviting all the people, like I typically am. Um, I added a new PSA tonight to let everyone know that there is there is a compensation program out there if you or someone you know has been injured by an, a vaccine. And that vaccine injury compensation is out there if you've been injured by a vaccine. So, just want everybody to know about it and so you can talk about it and tell others. Um, I also wanted to share some quick news with you about uh, there was one case that has been compensated and more compensated uh, terms have been let's see here there's one case so these countries are now being compensated through the CIACP which is the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. That's the one designated for COVID-19. So as of July 1, 2022, not a single claim had been compensated. However, 31 countermeasure claims have been denied because the standard of proof of causation was not met and or a covered injury was not sustained according to the CICP website. One COVID-19 countermeasure claim, a COVID-19 vaccine vaccine claim due to an anaphylactic reaction has been determined eligible for compensation and is pending a review of eligible expenses. At the same time, countries around the world are quietly compensating families whose loved ones have been injured or have died as a result of the COVID-19 vaccines. So Japan, Taiwan, the UK, Canada has received more than 700 claims and approved eight. Um, and then there's some post-shot blood clots. Uh, filings from Norway, Denmark. Let me see. Mm. But there's no financial assistance yet for Americans harmed by the vaccines. AstraZeneca vaccine associated with so many of the injuries has quietly compensated, has not been made available yet. Those numbers are not out. So by July 22 uh, of 2022, that's not that long ago, uh, 86,604 serious adverse events from COVID-19 vaccines administered in the U.S. have been reported to the VAERS Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, including 13,805 deaths. It is difficult to determine exactly how many of those involve blood clots, abnormal bleeding, low platelet levels, because each of those conditions have been coded many different ways. Um, but uh, the Epoch Times retrieved 2,609 cases that included some mention of thrombosis or a thrombocytopenia. Wow, my hot reading is improving, including 420 deaths. Death is news. Death is news. So these conditions account for only a small part, portion of the adverse events, but they have been reported to the CDC and the FDA. In order for people who have suffered from these adverse events to make a claim, a temporal association between the vaccine and the injury or some kind of causation must be established, as the Norwegian doctors and others did for VITT. Okay, so let's move into the authoritarian moment. Um, 
This is How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against Dissent. We're further reading from the chapter called Your Authoritarian Boss. Let's just begin. Destroying Dissenters. In October of 2020, CEO... David Barrett of Expensify, a corporation that specializes in expense management, sent a letter to all of the company's users. That letter encouraged them to all vote for Joe Biden. I know you don't want to hear this from me, Barrett wrote quite correctly, and I guarantee I don't want to say it, but we are facing an unprecedented attack on the foundations of democracy itself. If you are a U.S. citizen, anything less than a vote for Biden is a vote against democracy. That's right. I'm saying a vote for Trump, a vote for third-party candidate, or simply not voting at all. They're all the same, and they all mean I care more about my favorite issue than democracy. I believe Trump winning is more important than democracy. I am comfortable standing aside and allowing democracy to be methodically dismantled in plain sight. What were Expensify employees supposed to think of this letter? If they signaled their support for Trump, certainly they could be expect to lose their jobs, but Barrett obviously didn't care. His politics were the right politics. His opponents were wrong. Yet few concerns about power imbalance between Barrett and his employees materialized. Instead, praise, became, praise came pouring from the rafters. In reality, Barrett wasn't taking a business risk in issuing this letter. He was doing the opposite. He was signaling that he and his company were members of the righteous coterie of right-thinking corporations. Such signaling isn't merely done via external public relations. It's enforced in rigorous fashion internally. Employees are subjected to bouts of diversity training with experts like Robin D'Angelo who maintain that white supremacy pervades all of American life and that it is impossible for members of a victimized group to be, to be racist and that meritocracies, meritocracy sorry, are themselves representative of racist hierarchical thinking. That believing you aren't racist is somehow excellent evidence that you are racist. That white women's tears are a form of racism that racist intent is absolutely unnecessary in order to label an action racist since only impact and harm matter. All it costs them is $20,000 a pop to both indoctrinate their workers into the requisite politics and ensure against the possibility of a discrimination lawsuit. This garbage is wildly ineffective. A controlled study of one of the diversity training course found that there was very little evidence that diversity training affected the behavior of men or white employees overall. The two groups who typically hold the most power in organizations are often the primary targets of these interventions. Actually, diversity training tends to drive more anger and discrimination because people don't like being told they are racist or that they must follow a set of prescribed rules in order to alleviate their supposed racism. But effectiveness isn't the point. Preventing blowback is the point. And creating an environment of conformity on controversial issues. And corporations pour billions into doing both. As of 2003, corporations were spending $8 billion per year on diversity efforts. Let's invite some more people. $8 billion is a lot of money. just want to hear some people's thoughts on this. 
Yeah. And in America's biggest companies, the number of diversity, diversity professionals has increased dramatically over the past few years. By one survey, 63% between 2016 and 2019. Nearly everyone now has to sit through some form of indoctrination de designed by the authoritarian left, indoctrination that requires struggle sessions, public compliance with a new moral code, kowtowing to false notions of racial essentialism. And all of this is designed to cram down false notions of systemic privilege and hierarchy, which have become, those two terms, systemic privilege and hierarchy, have completely become meaningless. Nobody knows what they mean. They just are what they are today, and then the privilege will merge or, you know, be mutated tomorrow. So that's my ad hoc, you know, editorial slip in there. So it's an asterisk. I'll get back to the reading. Meanwhile, for these corporations that refuse to comply, the cudgel is available. When Goya CEO Robert Unanu, I think that's how you say it, Unanu, <laughs> appeared at the Trump White House to even event to tout his work during the pandemic, leftists began a nationwide boycott. Something similar happened when the LGBT activist targeted Chick-fil-A over a founder. Dan Cathy's support of a traditional marriage, encouraging local Democratic politicians to try to stop the chain's expansion into their cities. When billionaire investor Stephen Ross held a fundraiser for Trump in 2019, leftists launched a boycott—sorry, launched a boycott against Equinox and SoulCycle, both companies in which Ross had investments. Chrissy Teigen tweeted, everyone who cancels their Equinox and SoulCycle memberships, meet me at the library, bring weights. No one would want to be a Goya or an Equinox. So when, in June 2020, leftist organizations including Color of Change, the NAAAC, NAACP, sorry, ADL, Sleeping Giants, Free Press, and Common Sense Media called for Facebook advertisers to pause their spends to pressure Facebook into restricting content on its platform, more than a thousand companies complied. Those companies included the brands REI, Verizon, Ford, Honda, Levi Strauss, and Walgreens. And that's the goal for the authoritarian left, to cow everyone into silence except for those who agree with them. Corporations generally survive boycotts and statistics demonstrate that most boycotts are wildly unsuccessful at removing revenue. But boycotts can impact the overall health of a brand and can certainly generate sleepless nights for the companies targeted. As Northwest Institute for Policy Research professor Braden King argues, the no, the, sorry, the number one predictor of what makes a boycott effective is how much media attention it creates, not how many people sign on to a petition or how many consumers it mobilizes. Companies hate media attention they can't control, which is why they so frequently apologize, back down, and beg for mercy, which, of course, only starts the cycle anew. The purging of the public square has now reached epidemic proportions. All it takes is one bad story about your business to put you squarely in the authoritarian leftist cultural crosshairs. And now it's easier than ever to manufacture and spotlight such stories. In October of 2020, Yelp, a site that allows members of the public to review businesses, announced that it would place an alert on business if someone associated with the business was accused of 
or the target of racist behavior. That means if someone resurfaced a Trump-supporting post from a janitor, you could find yourself on the wrong end of a Yelp alert. And if there was a resounding evidence of egregious, racist actions from a business owner or employee, such as using overtly racist slurs or symbols, such evidence being a news article from a credible media outlet, the business would be hit with a business accused of racist behavior alert. Yelp had now created a Stalinist system of woke snitching in which all it would take to forever destroy a business would be an account of race, racism, <clears throat> sorry, an employee, a 22-year-old reporter looking for clicks, and an email address. Between May 26th and September 30th, more than 450 alerts were placed on business pages accused of racist behavior related to Black Lives Matter alone. So, <clears throat> the next subheading is the death of business neutrality. The final consequence of corporate America going woke isn't merely internal purges. It's corporate America's willingness to direct its own resources against potential customers guilty of such heresy. As the authoritarian left flexes its power, wielding corporations as its tool, the corporations will increasingly refuse to do business with those who disagree politically. The result will be a complete political bifurcation of markets. In fact, this is already happening. In 2016, North Carolina passed a bill that would ensure separate bathroom facilities for men and women throughout the state in contravention of a local Charlotte ordinance that would allow transgender people to access the bathroom of their choice. The business world reacted with universal outrage and big business vowed not to do business at all in the state. PayPal dumped plans for a higher facility, um, as did Deutsche Bank. Adidas decided to hire in Atlanta rather than Charlotte. The NCAA vowed to cancel championship games. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan stated com companies are moving to other places because they don't face an issue that they face here. According to the Associated Press, North Carolina was slated to lose some $3.75 billion over a dozen years if the state didn't dump the bathroom bill. In March 2017, the bathroom bill was duly repealed. The same pattern has held true in a variety of states. In 2010, businesses began boycotting Arizona after the passage of a law that allowed local law enforcement to enforce federal immigration law. After Georgia passed a pro-life law, Hollywood production companies announced they wouldn't do business in that state, even while doing business in a human rights abusing China. Mm. So, and corporations are beginning to target private citizens based on political belief too. In August 2017, Visa and Discover announced that they would not allow quote-unquote hate groups to process their credit card payments. PayPal, too, announced its app would be barred from use from those groups. MasterCard, by contrast, says it doesn't ban merchants based on our disagreement with specific views, espoused, or promoted. In February of 2018, First National Bank of Omaha dropped its NRA Association credit card, stating customer feedback has caused us to review our relationship with the NRA. That same month, American Airlines and United Airlines announced that they would pull all discount benefits for NRA members. 
In March 2018, Citigroup announced it would limit retail clients' firearm sales. One month later, Bank of America announced the bank would no longer give loans to manufacturers of guns for civilians. Leftist interest groups immediately began pressuring other major banks to do the same. American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten said the union would not recommend Wells Fargo mortgage lending programs to its members because of ties to the gun industry. In May of 2019, Chase Bank began, began closing bank accounts for customers deemed radical, including Enrique Terrio of the Proud Boys and radical activist Laura Loomer. Jamie Dimon, CEO of Chase Bank, said very directly, we have not and do not debank people because of their political views, for now, presumably. This threat extends beyond the financial services industry. When Amazon Web Services, whose sole job is to provide cloud services, decide to deplatform Parler, that's polarizing. When MailChimp, an email delivery service, refuses to do business with Northern Virginia Tea Party, that's polarizing. When PayPal announces that it uses slurs from the Southern Poverty Law Center to determine which groups to ban, that's polarizing. When Stripe announces it will not process funds for the Trump campaign website after January 6th, that's polarizing. The question here isn't whether you like any of these groups. The question is whether neutral service providers should be removing access to their business based on political viewpoint. The hard left demands that religious bakers violate their religious scruples and bake cakes for same-sex weddings and then turn around and cheer when credit card companies decide not to provide services for certain type of customers. So there's a solid case to be made that private businesses should be able to discriminate against customers based on their right to association. But our corpus of law has now decided that such freedom of association is largely forbidden unless it targets conservatives. Anti-discrimination law in most states, bars discrimination on the basis of sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, race, medical disability, marital status, gender expression, age, and a variety of other categories. But there is no anti-discrimination protection for politics. Since the left is particularly litigious, that means that businesses are wary of avoiding businesses with anyone on the left, but when it comes to the right, Businesses have acted to protect themselves from rearguard attacks by the woke authoritarians. The result will be two separate systems of commerce in the United States. We won't eat at the same restaurants. We won't go to the same hotels, theme parks, or movies. We won't use the same credit cards, all of which makes it rather difficult to share a country. And so I'll just stop it there. So that's that's a further reading from your authoritarian boss. That's chapter 5 of... The Authoritarian Moment, How the Left Weaponized America's Institutions Against Dissent by Ben Shapiro. Now, you may not agree with everything he said, but um, we have about 10 minutes left in the podcast. Uh, Would anybody like to step up and talk about what you just heard? Let's see, we have with us Nate Illumio and Charlie Weiser. Yay! So, <clears throat> it's kind of awkward, isn't it? So, there's there's an employment embargo 
against private citizens as well. So it's really weird to have an employment embargo in the, in the age of the Great Resignation. So I kind of wonder how what per percentage of these people are, are being resigned or fired and what percentage of them are choosing to resign because the company is you know not according to their politics or um, they are you know some combination of both I think that's kind of a murky issue I'm not an employment lawyer but the way things are going I'm kind of inspired to see what the employment litigation statistics might be so I'll have to kind of poke around and try to talk to a few employment lawyers about what they're you know what they're seeing what the great resignation actually means so let me punch in resignation based on politics alone just just politics The politics of resignation threatens our democracy. There's an editorial from The Hill here from Robert Lucas. So that came out in 2014, so that doesn't that kind of predates what we're talking about. How to there's a tutorial here from The Muse, how to quit a job for political reasons. So this was posted doesn't have a date. There's three ways to quit a job for political reasons without burning all the bridges. <laughs> Don't bring up politics, literally. Keep your emotions out of it. And paint it as a growth experience. <laughs> oh my god. It's a growth experience. Okay, great. Um, so, so, what is the great resignation? Oh, it's a workers' movement. Did you know that the Great Resignation is a workers' movement in America? I did not know that. That's how it's being couched. So, this is by Dan Labotz of New Politics. Let's get at the bottom of it. He's a Brooklyn-based teacher, writer, and activist. He's co-editor of uh, New Politics. He wrote this. So he says, the new anti-capitalist party. So that's, that's the NPA of France says the United States is experiencing one of the biggest worker movements in decades while it is not organized by labor unions no involves no strikes and has had very little fanfare it is a common action if not exactly a conscious collective action being taken by millions um, over the last several months millions of American workers have quit their jobs about four million every month since spring the trend of saying I quit goes on has been suggested that one might think this is an unofficial general strike. While that would be an exaggeration, there's still something to it. Workers are quitting because the wages are too low, because their working conditions are unsafe, or because they want a different life, a better life. They want to be happy. Okay. So, this is the cause of the Great Resignation, as it has been called, was the COVID depression of 2020, and the, con con the economy contracted by 32%. An official unemployment reached 15% and thought it may have been as high as 20%. Those who still had jobs sometimes worked in unhealthy conditions without proper personal PPE 
or social distancing while others work from home, often surrounded by school-aged children working at their computer, uh, a needy child who wanted attention, a crying baby, yada, yada, yada. So some workers in areas were there with high demand, while whether it's high tech or delivery drivers simply burned out and quit. Others sick of their jobs, retired early, some working remotely, no longer tied to the office, moved to the, out of the cities, into the suburbs, or to distant states. When employers called the worker back to the office, they quit. <laughs> so I think that that's the essence of it. So we've got, we've got kind of an economic contraction that has led, unfortunately now, to a recession. Yep. Our economy contracted, and then it kept contracting, and then energy crisis, and then all this other stuff. I saw an emoticon fly up that's like, you know, thumbs up, yeah. I mean, if you'd like to explain why that's a good thing, you know, please call in, let me know here. Uh, so I'll just bring in Nate. we got about four, minute let's, four minutes left in the program. Be good to hear from you. Go ahead, Nate. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay. So that, that thumbs up was more just uh, it was more an affirmation of what you were saying. Yeah, like but I got it kind of thing. Speaking of, but speaking from personal experience, I think um, you know, and clearly from my picture, you can see I'm a white guy. Um, I think, I think all the everything that happened during 2020, when you know that everybody is being separated into different sort of uh, tribal ethnic groups. I mean. Involuntarily, like, I might add. You oh, know, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, involuntarily, but I think a lot of people also, a lot of people clearly eat that up. You know, I think it's... Uh, some really do. Some some and, really need that. And so when you they see... Think they need it. When you, okay, so when you see that, you know that you can deduce that the people who are eating it up, um, to me, it seems like if they're smart, if the country's that racist, then why would you want to participate? Mm. Um, and then I think from, I mean, it's different for, I think, depending on the economic strata that you come from, it's going to be different. And of course, you know, everybody's reasoning is going to be slightly different, but I think okay. for- Can I, I, for, can I add something to your comment? Can I like jump in and, and yeah, offer yeah, something? Sure. We're a highly integrated nation. Like, you know, there, there's no way to un, unscramble the egg there. Um, you know, and there's so many uh, mixed racial couples. And so one of, the, one of the oddities of this wokest movement, you know, and to try to extract people is that people started attacking children of, of biracial couples. Like they were no longer good enough and they had to pick a team. And um, if they showed up with their white parent, um, you know, it was kind of like this, you know, you have gotten into bed with, like, the enemy kind of thing. Um, that was so weird for me because the child is an innocent person and you can't, you know, they certainly can't pick their parents, right? And, you know, they already were dealing with some of this from society, from people who were ignorant or didn't understand. You know, there's just never – you can't please anybody. <laughs> well, that, that's why the whole thing is such a farce to me because, really, none of us pick our parents. Yeah, none there of you us go. Pick our, none of us pick our race. None of us – well, we can pick our gender now, but, you know, previously that – I mean, 
these are these are immutable characteristics and there's nothing wrong with that but we've convinced our society that they uh should be uh that they should be mutable they should be changeable um i think a lot of people buy into that and i think it's a it's a fantasy but you know perception is reality so when you have enough people who think the country's racist what what's the point of doing this you're gonna see it in the economy and i think that's what mm. we're seeing to a large degree now is we're seeing that a, a lot of people who don't know any better we know our public education system is pretty much you know it's crap it sucks so it's easy people are right for the uh you know for being manipulated in this way and i think it was mm-hmm. I think as time goes on, it will be looked at as one of one of the greatest. Um, oh gosh, I mean, it's it's hard to quantify right now because we're still, I think, in the beginning stages of it. Personally, I think that. But um, well, I I, I, think I actually think this. that there's there's some people who've kind of converted themselves right out of it because they they knew about a quality of life that they had prior to this, and while they might have been kind of trying to advocate for. Um, better standards you know maybe maybe they witness some racism i've certainly witnessed some racism i'm not going to say it's not real because that's some of of the crap that i used to hurt here from you know from these rightist people they they just ignored it they're like this problem it doesn't exist for us so we're just going to ignore it It, it's just a non-problem for us because we don't want this problem kind of thing A, a certain level of denialism Okay, which is, you know, makes it impossible to do anything, of course, when there is actual racism involved. Um, but it's not as prolific, maybe, as was decried. And it certainly wasn't as big of a problem. I, it's just astonishing. Like, every if I pick up this can that was produced in a factory in Atlanta... You know, now I have to think about were there enough black workers at the Coca-Cola company? Is this a racist company or not? You know, like, and people start kind of getting into a kind of minutia. Like, they're driven into, they're majoring on the minors rather than, I just need to pay a dollar for this Coke and I'm going to drink it now. It's an American-made Coke. Why is that a bad thing? Because America's a racist planet now. Like, oh, Oh well, I mean, it, there was there was some racism. It was worse in the '60s, uh, but you can't reinvent. You can't go back there and make it as racist as it was, unless, of course, you're somebody who kind of was is kind of married mentally to the Ibram X Kendi stuff. And man, is it weird when you actually meet one of those people? Oh, oh, I've yeah, I've met I've met a few of them. It's it's and... really weird, dude. It's 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 super duper weird to, to meet somebody that indoctrinated into to their own racism and you, and to confront I, them and say, "You know what? You're actually racist." And, I think and to, though, but it's it's so easy for those people though. It's easy for those people to remain in that you know, it's celebrated. It is celebrated like in the town, you know, you see it everywhere. Cities, companies who are hiring uh di- I mean to me Oh, the DEI. Right. Like you I mean to me that is that is proof positive that our culture has bought in. And to buy back out, I think it's going to take a major recession. It's going to take a lot of pain. Well, we're because, here. We're here. Right. We're oh, at oh, recession. Oh, but 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 this is but I mean 
it's I think it's going to take more pain. It's going to take more, you know, the amount of pain it will take to to convince people that not only is it is it incorrect, but this is bad for us. I mean, you know, unfortunately, yeah, I think it's just going to take a lot more than a simple recession. And um, because let's be honest, this was brewing for long before 2020. You know, if you look at speakers who, you know, anybody that came from academia mm-hmm. um, will tell you that. I mean, it, it's and, it's and just, I didn't certainly didn't have time to to notice. I had my own peccadillos and I wanted I wanted my own racial situation, you know, disparities in my own racial history and situations to get noticed because I thought that they weren't being noticed. But what I call for a, a holistic boycott generated by Wells Fargo over it? No. You know, would I say, let's reform the police, but I didn't say defund the police. I'd say, let's reform QI so that everybody can be safe. Because the only, you know, it, it did come to my attention that the issue is that when you are a member of a SWAT team and you get faulty intelligence and then you go SWAT the, the next door neighbor of a person, you know, the, the race of the person really isn't so much of the issue. Um, but over time, I, I realized that the people who had the largest megaphones had been the black community for those incidents. But I had been involved with people who were corresponding with me from Cop Watch and, you know, racial. And so we kind of were, were simpatico. We were working on things together. That's when we were actually working on things together, right? See, that's Which, just it. Is that's These just situations it. Is, kind of these split work. everybody. It split up everybody. Well, like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Where'd you go? I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like there were a lot of people who were very, very involved in their own world. Understandable, right? And when Trump came along, these people were like, oh, I've never paid attention to politics before in my life. I've never cared, but this guy is bad. Mm-hmm. We have to mobilize. And so they ate it up, hook, line, and sinker. And well, Bush wasn't bad enough for them. They took away like all their liberties. I you know, think a lot in, of people, in one fell asleep, and they're like, they're like, this guy isn't bad enough for you. <laughs> they just, they were just able, like, people were just, you know, if things are comfortable enough to where people can just simply ignore them and pay attention to their own lives, you know, you look at like the the edge, you look at the intelligence of the entire population, and most people are just able to, you know, they're either struggling or they're just or they don't care, right? A lot of people were checked out, so Trump woke people up in terms of like oh we're under threat but unfortunately what were they threatened by nate because some of it threatened me others of it didn't oh okay what threatened me is you know and the and the threat spread is really different for each person what threatened me was that trump wanted to codify real id in all the states and build a wall okay and, but he, the promise of what he offered was that because I fought so hard on that issue was that the real ID would be optional before the law provided that it was a mandate, an unfunded mandate that, you know, enforced a, a national passport system, you know, an internal passport system for Americans. And I, I was like, no, I'm not having it. <laughs> so um, but they dragged in the border wall fence piece as a part of it. My initial goal, say, like with that particular issue, 
um, was to get rid of Real ID, period. Just get rid of all of it. Now, the border fence was just kind of one of those things that that strategists, political strategists, wanted to hook in there so that certain hardcore elements of the conservative movement would stay entrenched and stay with it because it's bad policy. It's crappy policy that does not work. And I think the fence doesn't work. You can build it. They're going to tunnel under it. But, you know, they waste our tax money on so many other things like stupid wars. You know, if they decide to do it, it's going to obstruct the environment. There are bad things associated with it. But if they do it, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to really violate my religion. I'm just saying that the the ID card part was really the toughest part for me. So that was the one issue with Trump that was like, rear, 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 you know, but he made it optional. So it was like, uh, okay. And then tax relief and then, uh, you know, and then that the other stuff was okay. Well, to me, you're, you're, uh, I don't want to say the exception, but I think what most people were freaked out about, right. Is they hear this guy is racist. This guy is this, this guy is that. And, you know, he says so many things that like are not that far off and does so many things that are, are, you know, he didn't help himself. I'll I'll give you that. Oh, he didn't help himself. So, but, but, (laughs) but I think, but for people who are like part timers in terms of how much they pay attention, I think a lot of people bought into it. And I think now they still believe that. And so if you've got a country that is quote unquote, fundamentally racist, like 16, 19, all the mainstream stuff. I think a lot of people bought it, they ate it, and, you know, why would you want to participate in a society like that? And so, I mean, I don't believe... I, I Because they're only disagree. partially informed. They're part-time informed. They only have, you know, like maybe 13% of the story. So if you, so if you could find a way to, like, well, not you, but... One, put yourself in these people. You know, put put one, yourself in, in their shoes. Yes. Right. If one who is relatively, let's say, I mean, it's going to sound bad, but relatively low achieving or n- not very aspirational, and then you also believe the country is racist, and you can find a way to get by without participating, without mm-hmm. working, and 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 also granted, you know, I mean. Let's face it, like when you look at how much people like wages, they do suck relative to cost of living, etc. So, I mean, these people are not without I mean, in that that part of the story is is it's not like it's baseless. There's truth, you know, just like the country's racist, like, well, yeah, racism does exist within the country. Yes, it has always been there, but that doesn't mean that the country was based on it. Just as in, yeah, yes, people should be paid more, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't work. You know, but but people that's a nuanced interpretation. I think most people don't want to have a nuanced interpretation, you know, and like we're uh, it's sort of the struggle is to get people who are willing to have a nuanced sort of interpretation is to talk to these people. But when you have a you know, the difficulty, I think, is when you've got what is considered mainstream media and they are not pushing that at all. It's going to be tough, you know, and that's why I think, you know, it comes down to pain and it's going to require a lot of people feeling a lot of pain before they are willing to reevaluate their belief system, you know? Well, I think they're already, I mean, inflation is, we're kind of going over by 10 minutes. This is supposed to be a 30 minute, you know, 30 minutes and quit. I I kind of fudged it. I'm really glad you're here, Miranda, you know, but you came down to the edge. I think she's kind of like giving me the 
the red light. Like, oh. okay, it's time to get out of here. Hey, Nate, I want you to come back. You know, we're going to try to broadcast between 7 and 8. Um, the 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock black uh, between those two times um, every night for our 100 days of call-in. I want to wrap this up with a cool song that was from 2013, 2014. It's going to sound cheesy to everybody because it's been running in commercials for years. But if you actually pay attention to the words and the lyrics, then you'll really get inspired. This is the Unsanctioned Citizen Anthem. Thank you guys for coming. I'm going to play it for you now. Thanks, Sheila. Oh, thanks, Nate. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Talk to you soon. <laughs>